Today is our last day in a series on the worthiness of Jesus. And we've seen some amazing things about Jesus. There was a guy named John the Baptist, if you remember back to the very beginning of the series. John the Baptist was like one of the greatest men ever to live. Thousands of people are coming to him uh, to hear him speak and to be baptized by him. They want to be around him. And it's crazy because John the Baptist is wearing camel's hair and he's eating locusts and he's hanging out in the desert. But yet people are flocking to him and they think that he's this coming king of the Jewish people. But he says about Jesus, hey, this guy that's actually coming is far and away greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to untie the man's sandals and so right away we just saw like wow if, if like one of the greatest people ever to live thinks that jesus is like infinitely greater than him then this jesus guy must be pretty great then we saw that jesus teaches with this like holy and perfect authority and when he spoke people listened even demons listened and when he spoke people came from all around to hear what he had to say and they recognized that he wasn't speaking like a teacher of the law who followed tradition and read a book and then said, well, this is what the book told me. But he was teaching as God's voice, really. And then we saw how Jesus loved people, even people that society deemed as unlovable. And we, I told you a story about a guy with leprosy. And, and the guy with leprosy would have been untouchable. He wouldn't have been able to hang out with people in his society. And, and he comes up to Jesus and, and trembling because he doesn't know how this, this great man is going to respond. He looks at him and he's like, hey, will you heal me? I know you can do it. I know you have the power to do it. And Jesus reaches out and touches the man defiling himself ceremonially, and he heals him. And he's sent outside of the cities because of it. But now this man, the man with leprosy, is able to go into the cities. And then we examine Jesus' love for individuals. And we talked about how Jesus doesn't just love a crowd. Jesus loves you as a person. Jesus isn't just concerned with the whole world accepting him and becoming Christians. Jesus cares deeply and passionately about you and the situation that you were in, because he doesn't just love people, he loves individuals. And last week we talked about Jesus' ability to heal, and we saw how he healed a man who was deaf and and, and mute, or at least had a speech impediment, and we talked about how Jesus is the only one who has the power to heal you and all the things that you struggle with and you deal with spiritually and emotionally and even physically. And so we saw these amazing things over the course of six weeks about Jesus. And hopefully you've paid attention. Maybe this is your first sermon that you've heard in the series. Go back and listen to him. But but hopefully you've really thought about Jesus and how awesome he is and how worthy he is of your life and about telling other people about. But here is kind of the weird thing for me. It's kind of the dilemma. Not everybody will accept what I've said and decide to, to say Jesus is worthy of my life. It's kind of this funny thing. I can say... The exact same thing to different people. I can point to them, point them to these amazing stories about Jesus. They could even say, yeah, I kind of believe that. That's a great story. Seems like a good guy. But we know, right, that some people will choose to say, yeah, I think he's worthy of my life. I want to give him everything. While other people will decide to say, well, that's cool and all. But I'm not going to give him my life. And it's kind of strange, right? I see it on a, on a, on a bigger scale maybe because I preach and, and I know I can give a sermon 
to a group of people who are pretty alike and have similar backgrounds, and one of those people will respond, and another person won't respond. And, and you've maybe seen it on, on a personal level. You have a conversation. You say all the right stuff to one person. You say the same stuff to another person. And you get totally different responses about this guy named Jesus. Some people are like, yeah, that's awesome. I want to talk more about that. I want to give my life to Jesus. And other people are like, no, that's I, sure, yeah, maybe that's fine, but I, I don't. That's not something I want to deal with right now. And so it's an interesting question. Why is it that some people, when they read about and hear about and think about and even believe that Jesus has done all these incredible, amazing things, will say, yeah, that guy is worthy of my life, while other people will say, see the same stuff, even maybe believe the same stuff, and say, well, I'm not going to give that guy my life. I'm not going to, to, to offer myself to him. Why is it that that happens? And I think we see... An answer to that question, not the full answer, but at least part of the answer to that question in Mark chapters 8 through 10. I won't read all of those to you today, but I kind of want to look at at this theme that, that I think emerges. And next week is Palm Sunday, so that's exciting. I've always liked Palm Sunday since I was a little kid and we would wave the palm branches at my church. It's, say, I mean, even before like church mattered on a deep spiritual level, it was still, oh yes, Palm Sunday. And I think we maybe hit beach balls one time. Uh, I'm not sure, but that, you know, if you hit beach balls at church, then you'll forever like whatever day that was. Uh, and so, so next week is that day and I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it. And we'll look at the story of how Jesus enters Jerusalem and lots of people are, are declaring him worthy. And what's really fascinating about the story that we'll look at next week is, is there's three types of people there. There's those who have deemed Jesus worthy of, of their entire lives. There are those in the crowd who are kind of unsure. And then there are some people who really hate Jesus. And, and even as he's being hailed as the king, they're saying, how can we kill this guy? And, and, and I think in chapters 8 through 10, which are the chapters that lead up to that story, we see why. There's three types of people in the event we'll study next week. And we see why some people don't respond to Jesus like other people. So here's what happens. Jesus feeds 4,000 men, not to mention women and children at the beginning of chapter 8. Let me read it to you. Mark chapter 8, 1 through 9. It's a pretty awesome story. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing else to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come from a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When they had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. And so here's this crazy miracle, right? I mean, if anything... It's going to draw people to say, wow, that guy is worthy of my life. Then, then I think it would be this story, apart from Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, because what's going on here is, is these 4,000 men and women and children that are around, well, they're there in this crowd around Jesus in order to hear the man teach and to be healed by him. 
tells us in the book of Matthew, same story, that Jesus looks out and all these people are there and he's like, hey, they need healing, I'll heal them. And so think about the situation. I mean, Jesus is healing all these people. It's crazy, right? And then, oh wait, they need something to eat. Let me feed them, all of them, with just a few basketfuls of bread and a few fish, right? That's a crazy deal. I mean, we've maybe heard the story, you've heard it before, and you're like, well, whatever, he did it, yeah. But I mean, that doesn't happen. I mean, I I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. We've never seen anything like that. And so if anything is going to make people be like, hey, this guy is worthy of my life, then then this story should do it. People should just be falling down on their faces and being like, man, you, you can have my life. What do you want me to do? I believe that you're the king. I will give you everything. I'm here to follow you no matter where that leads me. But the very next thing we read in the book of Mark is that the Pharisees demand from Jesus a sign from heaven. Now, before you judge these guys too harshly, I'll read you the verse in a second. Before you judge them too harshly, some of the Pharisees, maybe all of the Pharisees, may not have been at the feeding of the 4,000. So they may not have witnessed it. But that said, Pharisees definitely would have witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 men uh, and women and children that happened earlier, and they definitely would have heard about this, right? I mean, think about it. If Jesus performed this miracle today it would be everywhere and i'm sure then that news traveled fast because people have a way of talking and we've seen in the book of mark that even when jesus says hey don't tell anybody about this what happens it spreads like crazy and so i'm sure when you got thousands of people sitting there being fed by a few loaves of bread and a few fish that what's going to happen is going to spread and the pharisees are going to hear about it and here's what we read mark 8:11. the pharisees came and begin to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. Are you kidding me? That's not enough of a sign. He's sitting around healing people. I mean, like all in a day's work, right? Just healing people, feeding people with nothing. I mean, and then they ask for a sign. And for me, it's crazy. It's like, how could they possibly want a sign beyond this? You see, they see something that lots of other people saw and said, well, this guy's worthy of my life. But they say, well, you're not worthy. Show me something else. Give me some more proof that you are worthy of my life. At the end of chapter 8, we see one of the most relevant passages of Scripture to kind of this whole series. And we're just bringing it out now, but, but listen to these words. Verses 34 through 38 in chapter 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Did you catch that? I mean, Jesus looks at these people and he says, If you want to be my follower, then you must take up your cross and you must be willing to give me everything. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus looks at his disciples and he explains what I think I've been saying for the past six weeks. And that is, look, if you are a real Christian, then you must give me all of your life. 
you can't just, and I know it's easier, and I know it's been pushed this way in Christianity, you can't just say at some point in life, hey, dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner, and that you died on a cross. Amen. Good to go. I'll go home. I'll never think about it again, and someday I'll enter into heaven. That is just not what Jesus says. He says, if you want to really be a Christian, then you give me everything that you are. That is what a Christian is. That is how you get into heaven. And he says, something else we've been talking about, you can't be ashamed to tell other people about me. You can't be ashamed of me or else I will be ashamed of you and you don't want Jesus to be ashamed of you. And so Jesus says, look, this is everything. It has to be everything for you. If you want to be a Christian, you need to give me all of you. Now in the next chapter, he kind of emphasizes this. In verses 43 through 48 in Mark 9, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out, and if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, let me be perfectly clear about something. Jesus is not being literal. I don't want anybody to take away from this sermon, I'm going to go home and cut my hand off. I'm not looking forward to it, but that was a super good sermon. And so I'm just going for it, you know, because that is not Jesus' intent. Jesus is being metaphorical, symbolic, whatever you want to call it. And what Jesus is saying, in very, very vivid terms, right, is that if anything gets in the way of you giving everything to Jesus, then you need to lower that thing. You need to put it aside, you need to remove it, and you need to put Jesus above it. Jesus isn't saying to cut off any body parts, and that, that's not going to get you in heaven. People have done that in, his, in the history of Christianity because of the, these verses. But Jesus is saying, if there's anything in your life that's preventing you from giving all of yourself to me, then you need to move that thing to the side. I honestly believe this is what prevents a lot of people from becoming Christians. I think that people look at things like work and friends and money and uh, some kind of sin in their life and their emotions and they think, for whatever reason, I I don't want to give this up, I don't want to change this, I don't want to do that. And so they say, well, I I just won't give my life to Jesus. What Jesus is saying is you need to be willing to remove those things and get rid of those things and and lower those things so that you can give your whole life to me doesn't mean that we kill our friends, right? It doesn't mean that. But it does mean this, that we're willing to lose our friends for the sake of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we quit our jobs, but it does mean that we're willing to lose our jobs for the sake of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we burn all of our money, but it does mean that we're willing to give all of our money away to follow Jesus, to be somebody that does what He wants in our lives. Jesus is not mincing words, is He? He's not, he's not dancing around it like, hey, yeah, you know, the prayer might get you into heaven, but you kind of need to try to live for me a little more than that. He's saying, look, if you don't give me all of you, then it's not good enough. And you need to give me all of you. In chapter 10, we see a real-life illustration of this. Chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Notice what happens next. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, this man was confronted by what Jesus had just said. Jesus said, look, if you're going to follow me, here's what I demand of you. And this guy said, well, I want to follow you. I want an uh, eternal life. I want to inherit the kingdom. I want to be part of this thing that, that you are at the head of, that you are bringing into our earth. But I'm not willing to give up everything for you. I'm willing to avoid a lot of sins. I'm willing to, to get rid of a lot of stuff. But I'm not willing to give up everything for you. So Jesus looks at this guy and he demands what I'm calling you to. And that is to say, Jesus, you are worthy of everything. You're worthy of telling others about because they need eternal life. And then Jesus teaches about how difficult it is because of this very theme for a rich person to become a Christian. He says it's difficult and we know it's because of this, that it's hard to give up everything if you have a lot of things, right? I mean, it's hard to give up everything if you have everything to lose. It's the reason that Christianity, I believe, in, the, in its history, maybe not in modern America today, but, but in, in the history of Christianity, it has been a poor man's religion because I think people look at Jesus and they see all the things that he has to offer and they go, I don't have anything. I'll give my life to you because I want those spiritual blessings. And here's what's really cool is that after this teaching, Peter like has a light bulb go off in his head. He's like, oh, wait a minute, time out. And this is what he says to Jesus. We have left everything to follow you. Peter recognizes in himself and in the other disciples, he's like, wait a minute, I did exactly what you just called me to do. I mean, this guy was confronted with the choice to give up everything and come follow you. And he said, no, but we, we did that. You told us to leave our, our fishing boats and our fishing nets and we got up. You told Matthew over there to leave his tax collector's booth where he had a good job and he was making good money and he was willing to do that to follow you. And, and Peter gets it all of a sudden. He was willing to leave everything. He deemed Jesus worthy of his life. And here's kind of the staggering deal. When I look at this man who's called the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus, and I look at Peter and the other disciples, I see that they are offered almost the exact same thing. Jesus comes up to them, and Jesus says, leave it all, come follow me. And on one hand, we have people who choose to do it, and on the other hand, we have a man who says, no, you're not worthy of that. And right in the midst of kind of these three chapters and that theme that I just brought forth, I think we see the key. Mark eight twenty seven through 29. Listen to these words. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. I think in that one line right there, we see the difference between people who say, yes, I'm looking at the life of Jesus. He's amazing. He's awesome. I will give him everything. I will deem him worthy. And people who don't. And it's this. It's who they believe Jesus to be. You see, these other people... 
that are described in that passage right there. They think Jesus is great. Hey, John the Baptist, I mean, he's an awesome guy, right? And they thought he had died and been resurrected, which is even cooler. Some say a prophet. That's a compliment, right? Some say that he's Elijah. That's a really big compliment for a Jewish person. It's like the best compliment you can get. But they don't see Jesus as the Messiah. And I believe at the heart of every decision to give all of yourself to Jesus is who you believe him to be. That was the difference here. Now, here's here's the thing. The Messiah, if you don't know, is a reference to a promise in the Old Testament. And the promise was this, that someday God would come, and God would come to earth, and he would be a man, and he would save people and set things right. And I believe that if we, if you and I and the world, if we don't just, at the end of the day, say, I think Jesus is all of those things, God in human form who came to save, then we will never deem him worthy of everything that we are. It's not about the great stories. It's not about all the amazing things we've seen. It's simply, at the end of the day, no matter how many sermons I preach on and how much I show you, what's going to make you decide to give everything to Jesus and to tell others about him, to deem him worthy of those things, is you saying, I really believe that this is God in human form who came to the earth to save people. That's it. Now, here, here's the deal. This sermon's about to go downhill. But we, we, we view Jesus in many ways in our culture today. And some may kind of sneak up on you. Uh, the first one, I got nervous all of a sudden. About to reach into this bag and make a fool of myself. My dad's always told me it's a virtue to be willing to embarrass yourself. So here we go. Some people see Jesus as a pirate. And they look at this guy who lived 2,000 years ago, and these people would not be followers of Jesus or talk about Jesus or like Jesus. And they look at him and they say, this is a guy who stole the hearts of people. And he led them astray. And he's an evil man because not only did he do it 2,000 years ago, but now currently in our world today, he is still causing people to, to, to steal hearts. And, and he's led so many people astray, and they've been led astray from good science, and they've been led astray from good logic, and they've been led astray from all these things. And so some people, if I can get out of this pirate thing now, some people look at Jesus, and, and, and they, they look at him as this evil man who led people astray. And the truth is, people that see Jesus that way, until they come to the light, until they change their beliefs, are never going to see Jesus for who he is, and they're never going to deem him worthy of their lives. And so maybe you fall into that category. Another way, and this is this is people who like Jesus oftentimes, that uh, that people see Jesus, and you get this one a lot in our society today, is as a hippie. Some people see Jesus as this hippie guy. And this is pretty common in our world today. They look at Jesus and they're like, he's an awesome guy. You know, he loved everybody. He was all about peace on earth and he hung out and uh, it was all about, you know, the stuff that I want him to be about, free love. And, you know, we just, we never tell anybody they're wrong because it's all about what you want and what you think. And, and Jesus had really no moral backbone. He just was a guy that was here to love and to teach others to love and threw up the peace sign every now and then. And, and things were just all good for him. You know, he's sitting on a beach just uh, telling people, you know, hey, go love somebody, man. Go love somebody. I'm going to be over here loving my people. You go love your people. We'll all just love each other and everything will be good at the end of the day. And so some people see him this way. And they don't see any moral compass. They don't see him as God. They see him as this this guy who just loved and wants us to love. But that's not enough. 
Some people, and this is many Christians, see Jesus as Batman. True story. Some people look at Jesus, and these are Christians, and all they can think about when they look at Jesus is simply that he is this guy with a low voice like this, and he is just running around making sure that people don't do anything evil. And if you do something evil, then you might get punched or you might get some kind of magical power to the side of the head that God invented and it's scary. And so you're looking at Jesus and in your head you're thinking like, I just hope he doesn't see me today. Right? A lot of you probably in this congregation who have grown up in the church see Jesus this way. As a guy who just shows up all of a sudden in the midst of the dark and it's like, oh, he saw me do that. And you live your whole life like a bad guy with Batman roaming around out there. And you're thinking, oh, if he would just let me, you know, live my life for just a day, if he would just take off all these rules, if he would just let me be me for a second, then then everything would be better. And so you look at him and, and it, you don't see him as the Messiah. You see him as Batman, as, as somebody who is just there to get rid of the bad stuff that you do and punish you when you when you do those things. Others see Jesus as a leprechaun. And the way we picture Jesus, some of us, is he's this like friend of ours. We throw our arms around him. We do like a little jig, you know, and we sing to him on Sunday mornings and we have fun with him. And our whole goal with Jesus is that eventually we can hang out with him enough and be around him enough that he'll lead us to the pot of gold, right? And there's really no good relationship. It's not like anybody wants to be a friend with a leprechaun for real. They just want the leprechaun to lead them to the gold. Some people are like, well, I believe that if I come to you, then you're going to make me more prosperous on this earth. And things will get better for me. And, you know, I can pray when I need something. and You'll make it happen. And, you know, you're just bringing in the money and all those things. Now, others of us, because I don't think the people in our church fit that, we look at Jesus. And some people in our church, I'm sure, are like, Jesus is... Awesome, because someday Jesus is going to get me to heaven. And that's kind of the extent of it. I'll hang out with him. I'll sing some songs on Sunday. But really what I'm in this for, the reason that I'm doing this Christianity thing, is because someday I want the pot of gold. I want to walk on the streets of gold. I want to be in heaven. Now, each of these things, whether you view Jesus as a leprechaun, Batman, or a hippie, or the other one, or a pirate, what's going to happen is that you're never going to deem Jesus worthy of yourself. There may be some truth in it. I mean, let's be honest. Jesus did come to change the hearts of people, right? And he wanted to lead people away from from what is normal in our culture into something better, I believe. But I could see how some people would say, this guy was here to, to start a kingdom. He was. And and you can look at Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus is kind of a hippie. I, I would agree with that statement, depending on what you mean. Sure, Jesus is about love, and he wants people to love each other, and, and he cares about us, and, and I think that he does bring peace to our lives. And so, yeah, sure, we can see that. And, and Jesus does want us to have a, a morals, and, and he, I, I believe, does punish sometimes when we are disobedient to him. And, and he does, I think, come into our lives and, and really... Uh, He's there to, to help us live the life that he has called us to live. Sure, that happens with Christians. And yes, Jesus, I do believe, leads us to spiritual riches. And someday, if we are Christians, we will be in eternity in heaven. But when we start to look at Jesus as one of these things, 
and we make that our Jesus, then we'll never deem him worthy of our lives. We might deem him worthy of part of our lives. If you see him as Batman, you'll start to remove sin. If you see him as a leprechaun, then you're going to pray for stuff, right? I mean, you're going to spend some time in prayer. If you see him as a hippie, then you'll be like, yeah, I should love more and I'm going to be more loving. If you see him as a pirate, you're going to be like, yeah, I should just get people into heaven, right? But we need to see Jesus not as any of those things, but as the Messiah. We need to, if we are going to deem Jesus worthy of our, our entire lives, we have to, to sit aside kind of these false ideas of what he's like, and we need to look at him and make it the very center and the very core of what we believe about him a simple truth, that he is God who came to this earth in order to save people and set things right. Here at Creekside, we believe, and the Bible teaches, that, that he did that by dying on a cross. I mean, think about the story that, that God came to the earth and then died so that you did not have to. That is incredible, and it's beautiful. And you can look at all the stories of love and all the stories of authority, all the stories of Jesus' greatness, but until you just really say in your heart of hearts, yeah, I believe God came here, literally came here, in order to die in my place so that I didn't have to spend eternity in hell, then you will never deem worthy God of your entire life. You'll never deem Jesus worthy of your entire life. And so this morning, what I ask for you, whether you've been a Christian a long time, or you're not a Christian at all, is that you know that Jesus is none of these things in and of themselves. But Jesus, most importantly and most profoundly, is God who came to earth to save you. And when you believe that, and when you start to kind of throw these things aside and say, well, sure, I'll get to heaven someday, but more... God came to earth to save me. Or when you go, hey, you know, sure, Jesus wants the hearts of all men, but primarily he came here to save me. And when you say, yeah, sure, Jesus is all about love, but you say more, he recognized the sin in my life and he came here to save me. And when you go, yeah, sure, Jesus wants me to live better and he cares about that, but more, he came here to save me from the things I do wrong, then I don't think you can help but give more of yourself to Jesus and want to tell others. The problem is not that you don't know the stories in the Bible about the worthiness of Jesus. The problem is that I believe in for you that have been Christians the longest, me, we forget who Jesus really is. We make him a bunch of other things. And when we lose that, we forget that he's worthy of our entire lives. And so this morning... Just kind of chuck everything that you've thought and you've heard and just just know in your heart of hearts that Jesus is God who came here to save you. And if you don't believe that, I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you do believe that for the first time, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And I, let me just, I'll just finish with my story. This wasn't planned and, and I've told this and I'll tell it again because it's so important to me. I've grown up in the church, been around the church forever was a decent guy. Teachers liked me. Skipped a whole bunch of school and my counselor thought I was sick for all of them <laughs> because I was the good kid, right? My senior year. And uh, But it wasn't until my senior year, and I'll, I'll give the short version, but one night, almost out of nowhere, it's like I understood how profoundly sinful I was. 
for the first time in my life, I just, I mean, and I was a pretty good kid, but I just knew, like, man, I have just done so many things wrong. And I have hurt God's heart, I believe, in so many ways because he wanted other things for me. And along with that, I just, for the first time, understood what a great sacrifice it was that Jesus would die so that all of those sins could be forgiven. And I spent hours on my floor crying because I I knew it, but for the first time I got it, that the God of the universe, God who created me, had given his life for me. And it changed absolutely everything for me because that day I said, hey, you're worthy. And I got up off those floor, off that floor and I wiped those tears. I've done lots of stupid stuff, but I've always known and always remembered and always lived as though Jesus was worthy because I recognized him as God who came to save me. And I hope that you will do that too. Will you pray with me? Lord, Jesus, Jesus, I thank you for coming here. Uh, being a person. You know that I'm always just blown away that you'd be willing to be a person for me, God, because we have lots of difficulties, lots of hurts, lots of struggles, and you went through them all. But more, God, I'm just thankful that you would die for this this person, me, this failed, flawed human being. God, I pray for everybody listening, everybody here in our church service this morning, that they would just in a new and powerful way, be touched by who you really are. God, I know that there's people in front of me that just, they see you wrong. God, they see you as something that you're not, and they forget about what you really are. And so, Jesus, this morning as we close this series, I pray that everybody here, God, would just be impacted by you and by by the fact that you are who you are. And Lord, I believe that everybody in this room that doesn't know you, if right now you will just, I don't know how it works, God, but if you will just talk to them and help them to see you for who you are, then they, God, they too, God, will, will just declare you worthy. They will just say, I, I'm going to give my life to this, this God-man because he gave his life for me. So I pray you do that in people's hearts. And then for those of us who have been around the church, God, forever, we're Christians, we've been here, we, we know it all. I just pray, Lord, that, that you would draw us back to rightful thinking about you this morning. And I'm convinced, God, that when we think about you incorrectly, we don't live the lives that we want to live or that you have called us to live. We live less and less for you. I know, God, that Peter, in that story, God, he recognized who you were, and he just left his boat and his net, and they became stupid to him, Lord, because he saw saw you who, who he saw you for who you were. And I pray this morning, even for those of us who have been around church forever, that this morning, God, we would remember and see you for who you are. Move in our midst, God, as we do this song and move in our midst as we go this week. I pray nobody here, God, would be able to think about you incorrectly. And and every time they do, every time they think, oh, he's going to get me because I'm sinning, they would just be drawn back to the truth of who you are. Bring people to salvation here, God. Bring people to a place where they deem you worthy. In your name, amen.